going to be reading Exodus 24, the entire chapter, and Exodus 25, verses 1 through 22. Exodus 24, let's start there. The word of God says, Then he said to Moses, Come up to the Lord, you and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, and the seventy and seventy of the elders of Israel, and worship from afar. Moses alone shall come near to the Lord, but the others shall not come near, and the people shall not come up with him. Moses came and told the people all the words of the Lord and all the rules. And all the people answered with one voice and said, All the words that the Lord has spoken we will do. And Moses wrote down all the words of the Lord. He rose early in the morning and built an altar at the foot of the mountain and twelve pillars according to the twelve tribes of Israel. And he sent young men of the people of Israel who offered burnt offerings and sacrificed peace offerings of oxen to the Lord. And Moses took half of the blood and put it in basins, and half of the blood he threw against the altar. Then he took the book of the covenant and read it in the hearing of the people. And they said, All that the Lord has spoken we will do, and we will be obedient. And Moses took the blood and threw it on the people and said, Behold, the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words." Then Moses and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, and 70 of the elders of Israel went up, and they saw the God of Israel. There was, under his feet, as it were, a pavement of sapphire stone, like the very heaven for clearness. And he did not lay his hand on the chief men of the people of Israel. They beheld God and ate and drank. The Lord said to Moses, Come up to me on the mountain and wait there that I may give you the tablets of stone with the law and the commandments which I have written for their instruction. So Moses rose with his assistant Joshua, and Moses went up into the mountain of God. And he said to the elders, Wait here for us until we return to you. And behold, Aaron and Hur are with you. Whoever has a dispute, let him go to them. Then Moses went up on the mountain and the cloud covered the mountain. The glory of the Lord dwelt on Mount Sinai, and the cloud covered it six days. And on the seventh day, he called to Moses out of the midst of the cloud. Now the appearance of the glory of the Lord was like a devouring fire on the top of the mountain in the sight of the people of Israel. Moses entered the cloud and went up on the mountain and Moses was on the mountain 40 days and 40 nights. The Lord said to Moses, Speak to the people of Israel that they take for me a contribution. From every man whose heart moves him, you shall receive the contribution from me. And this is the contribution that you shall receive from them. Gold, silver, and bronze, blue and purple and scarlet yarns, and fine twined linen, goat's hair, tanned ram's skins, goat skins, acacia wood, oil for the lamps, spices for the anointing oil, and for the fragrant incense, onyx stones and stones for setting, 
for the ephod and for the breastplate, breastpiece. And let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell in their midst, exactly as I show you concerning the pattern of the tabernacle and all of its furniture, so you shall make it. It shall make an ark of acacia wood, two cubits and a half shall be its length, a cubit and a half its breadth, and a cubit and a half its height. You shall overlay it with pure gold. Inside and outside shall you overlay it. You shall make on it a molding of gold around it. You shall, you shall cast four rings of gold for it and put them on its four feet, two rings on the one side of it and two rings on the other side of it. You shall make poles of acacia wood and overlay them with gold. And you shall put the poles into the rings on the sides of the ark to carry the ark by them. The poles shall remain in the rings of the ark. They shall not be taken from it. And you shall put into the ark the testimony that I shall give you. You shall make a mercy seat of pure gold. Two cubits and a half shall be its length and a cubit and a half its breadth. And you shall make two cherubim of gold of hammered work shall you make them and the two ends on the two ends of the mercy seat. Make one cherub on one end and one cherub on the other end. Of one piece with the mercy seat shall you make the cherubim on its two ends. The cherubim shall spread out their wings above, overshadowing the mercy seat with their wings. Their faces one to another toward the mercy seat shall the faces of the cherubim be. And you shall put the mercy seat on the top of the ark. And in the ark you shall put the testimony that I shall give you. There I will meet with you. And from above the mercy seat, from between the two cherubim that are on the ark of the testimony, I will speak with you about all that I will give you in commandment for the people of Israel. We'll pause here. May God give us understanding in this reading of his word as we continue our journey through Exodus and our preaching on Sunday morning. Would you, as you remain standing, bow in a time of prayer with me after a word of prayer. Our choir will come with special music and then the preaching of God's word for this morning. Let us pray. We thank you, Father, for allowing us to be here today. We thank you for your grace through the week. Some who had different uh, challenges in whether sickness or ailment that you have been with them through this week. We have some who are missing today. We will pray for them. We pray for Heidi and uh, her four boys, both Brian and Heidi and their children who are sick today. We pray that you bring healing on them, each one of them. Watch over them. Um, we pray for Charles, Lord, and uh, the uh, ailment that he has uh, gotten medical attention for. We pray, Lord, that you just continue to strengthen and bless him. Bless him. Heal him, Lord. We pray and thank you for each person here right now, thanking you for the transportation and the means that you gave us to be here. And uh, Lord, we want to come to hear your word. We want to come to worship you, to honor you with our thought, honor you with our worship, honor you with our lives, with how we live each and every day, not just on Sunday, but all during the week. We want to give honor to you with who we are. We want to worship you truly in spirit 
and in truth. You have designated. That's how you desire to be worshipped. Not just in a formality or, or in a ceremony, but in truth with our whole lives, with our whole hearts. We pray, Lord, that, that we would um, give ourselves over to you. There are times when we fall short, Lord. May, we, may you reveal that to us in your Holy Spirit. And may you uh, cause us to come to repentance and to ask your forgiveness and to uh, ask you for cleansing so that we can continue to, to worship you, to serve you, to live for you. Bless this time together now. Open our minds we might understand your truth and your word. Give us conviction and, and a heart to live out these truths, Lord, as we hear them expressed and talk clearly to us. Speak to our hearts today, Lord. Even as we take communion today, Lord, may we do that in spirit and in truth, in, in a genuine a love and appreciation for, the, for, for what the Lord Jesus Christ has done for us. May you, um, may you get, be glorified in all that we do today. We pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. continue in our series in Exodus. We are at chapter 24. Today we'd like to look at and consider from chapter 24 into chapter 30. So 24, 25, 26, 27, 28, 29, and 30. Um, sounds like a lot to cover, and it is a lot. Except that we won't be covering in all of that detail. I gave you a short outline of the, um, the book of Exodus. Last week, a three-point outline, and what it is is we see the desperate condition of God's people, and that's right in chapter 1. Chapter 2 on is the um, uh, God steps in and delivers his people from chapter 2 to chapter 18, and then in chapter 19, we see that God instructs his people. We see from that outline, what do we learn? Is that that's how God works in our life. He he sees our condition, he knows our need for himself, and he steps in and reveals himself to us and delivers us. He saves us. And after he saves us, he instructs us in how to live. You notice the book doesn't end when they cross the Red Sea. And your life doesn't end when you said, I believe in Christ. In fact, your journey starts then. You're now to walk with him, to live for him, to glorify him, to 
face the challenges of your life. And so uh, it shows you how important it is to be connected with God's people and to be a part of something like Sweet Communion, God's church. Um, and so believers need to do that. And I mention that because we live in a, an era today where people just think they can do things all by themselves or they really don't care about doing them at all. Um, you know, I'm saved, I'm good, that's all. If you have that attitude, I really have to question whether or not you are really saved. If you do not, in fact, want to walk with the Lord. Now, you'll notice one of the lessons from Exodus is that we see this crowd of people coming out of Egypt. We assume that they're the people of God and they're all glorifying God, but they're not. In fact, very few of them, it's only a family of them that make it to the promised land, and then it's their children, that second generation, that God graciously brings into the promised land. So know that God has saved you for the purpose of glorifying him. He's instructing you now. Receive that instruction. Listen to what God is saying in your life. So that's a brief um, outline then of Exodus. Let's take a look then at what we look at today in chapter 24. In chapter 24, God calls Moses and the leaders of Israel to meet with him. They have an appointment with God. You see, God has taken up office on Mount Sinai, and he's calling them to the top floor. And uh, you, you remember what happened before. They, they're not that excited to go. In fact, the people don't want to go at all. But God hadn't called the people to come up there. Um, they weren't ready for him. God is going to meet with the leaders. And out of that leadership team, he's meeting with Moses specifically. And he's going to spend some time with him. He's going to give Moses a clear instructions of what he wants his people to do and how he wants them to live. In chapter 23, 24, um, uh, uh, excuse me, chapter 21, 22, and 23, last week we looked at some of those instructions, and we, we said that they give us, they help us understand who God is, they give us understanding of our own sin, and they point us to God's remedy for sin, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. We're going to see that same thing as we go through these chapters today. We're going to see his specific instructions for building uh, uh, these, these, this furniture, the tabernacle, the things that were needed for worship to God. And so um, we'll get to that in just a minute. But in chapter 24, we also see that Moses renews the covenant with the people, or he confirms the covenant with the people. The covenant refers to um, what God has said. The, the, the Ten Commandments, the rules that he's given for them, he says, okay, now, you got it, right? And they answer, yes, we got it, we will obey. I like that. It's, it's called for a positive response. God is saying, now, I've given to you, this to you. Do you get it? Do you understand? Are you committed to walking in obedience to me? And they say that in chapter 24, yes, we got it, we will obey. Then we get into chapter 25. In chapter 25, the first section is instructions about the contributions for the sanctuary. Now, we know what contributions mean. God was going to bring, he was going to have them build the tabernacle, and he asked them to give contributions. Now, you will say, how does 
a nation who come out of slavery have the means to, to contribute to these things that God wants them to make for worship? Well, God has given them all that they need. And we see the instructions. Let's take a look at chapter 25, the first couple of verses. He says, this is the, verse 3, this is the contribution you shall receive from them, gold, silver, and bronze. And then he goes through a couple of the things they're going to need. All these things are needed for the items for worship. And they had them all. They didn't have to go buy anything. They had, how did God give them to them? Well, you know, he gave them to them when they left the land of Egypt. They simply asked all the people in Egypt, their, their previous masters who were masters over them as slaves, he, they asked them for their stuff, and they gave it voluntarily. God was looking forward already to how he was going to uh, use these things. And so they were to contribute uh, of their own for the building uh, or the, the making of these different items. Now, I really want to get into the next section. This is in chapter 25, starting at verse 10. We have specific instructions of the things that they were going to make. Now, I'm not going to go down each item and give the specifics there. That's why we only read two items this morning in chapter 25. We looked at the Ark of the Covenant and the Mercy Seat. But in there, we get the idea of what um, of the instructions that God was given to Moses for the people of Israel. Um, they were now preparing themselves for worship. Now, you may be familiar with the tabernacle. I want to just describe it a little bit so you can understand uh, what they were doing and have some appreciation for what God is, is bringing them to. Uh, the tabernacle they were to build and prepare the items for it basically was a tent. It was a tent set up for worship. Why was it a tent? Well, for several reasons. One, it was a tent so it could be mobile. They needed to go to different places. God was leading them into the promised land, but they weren't there yet. And in the meanwhile, he was giving them the means to worship him. And so they were to take this tent with them and all the things in it. And God had it designed specifically so that they could move from place to place with it. They would set up camp and set these things up. And when it was time to break camp, they would uh, uh, put it back in, 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 in storage or get it in the mobile unit so that they could walk and, 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 and take it to the next place that God was leading them. By the way, you remember that God was leading them by a pillar of cloud in the day and a pillar of fire at night. He was showing them step by step of where they were to go. This tabernacle then was a tent. It was a place uh, where sacrifices and offerings were made. God would meet with his people here in this place. He would accept the offerings that were offered to him by the priest from the people. In the tabernacle, the tabernacle was um, actually, you can see the dimensions of it if you'd like to read, but it wasn't very, very huge. It was simply a, a, a section for uh, of the, the killing of the animal, the sacrifice, and then the offering of the sacrifice on an altar. Part of the tabernacle, I use the tabernacle to define kind of the whole thing that they were at. As a part of that tabernacle um, was the most holy place. 
uh, we call it the Holy of Holies or the Most Holy Place. It was the place where God's presence was. And in this Most Holy Place, the, the high priest once a year would offer an offering for the sins of the people once a year. And this place, this section of it was was um, not walled off, but curtains separated it from the other place. Only the high priest was allowed to go into this most holy place or holy of holies. And the piece of furniture that was there was the Ark of the Covenant. And on top of the Ark of the Covenant was a mercy seat. Now the Ark, um, you can look at the dimensions there. If you read about a cubit, a cubit was the average man's forearm, here to here. This is about 18 inches. Um, and so you can use that to, to get dimensions. It's not an exact dimension, but it gives you the idea. In other words, this ark was not a huge thing. It was basically a, um, a, a chest, a box, a decorated chest. Uh, in fact, the word ark um, refers to a place or thing offering shelter, protection, or security. It also refers to a chest, a box, a coffer. Um, in other words, it was a place where you would keep important items. We have that in our house, a, a chest drawer. Um, because of that, I think that term is also used about Noah's Ark. It was a place of refuge, a place of safety, a place of security for Noah and his family. So it was called um, an ark as well. Um, it was about the size of a, of a small table. Our communion table would show you that size. And so, um, but it was a place associated with the presence of God. God will commune with his people here in this place or commune with the priest. His presence was known to be in that place. As we read through some of the specifics, you see that they were to build rings at the four corners of that ark because they were to carry it by putting poles of wood that were overlaid with gold through those rings so, so that four men, two on each side of the two poles, through the four corners, would be able to bear it by the pole on their shoulders and walk and carry the ark. They were instructed to do that way. Uh, uh, later on, you will learn in the Old Testament that there were some who thought to carry the, pole, carry the ark without the poles, and they were struck down by God because they touched the ark when they should not have done that. And so this was the implement so that they could make this mobile. Everything else in the tabernacle was mobile. And so they'd set up camp, and the priests and different individuals were assigned to different parts, and they would carry this from place to place, then set up at the new camp, build the tent, and put the items in it so that they would be equipped for worship. Um, some of you... Uh, who have been here since we started Sweet Communion can relate to how we used to set up a church service in, in our rented facility and how we had to come in and basically sweep the floors, set up all the chairs, set up the pulpit. In fact, we set up this same pulpit, and this pulpit can't show you, demonstrate, but it's designed to collapse and to fold, and there's a handle for it so that we can carry it in and carry it out. Now we're at, we're at one place, and we can just set it there, and amen, we don't have to set up chairs and do all of that. 
By the way, Israel kept this tabernacle and all the things in it, and they used that as a worship to the Lord um, all of, of their history up until the, day, the time of David and Solomon. David wanted to build the temple, uh, but God actually used Solomon, his son, to build the temple. When that temple was built, then these things, this tabernacle and all the things in it, were then placed inside that temple. And the temple took the place of the regular tabernacle. And God blessed that place. You can see that in, in, in uh, Second Chronicles and so uh, where uh, uh, he allowed that temp temple now to be established at his, as his place of presence. And so um, Israel would worship there and God would meet with them there in that place. And so I was using that to relate to us now that we're here in our own building. Uh, we, can, we don't have to set up chairs and every, every day, every week uh, in our pulpit. It's, it's stationary and it's there. What a blessing it is to, to have that convenience. So the tabernacle, basically a tent, and they had all of these items that were used for worship. Um, in one way, it, it shows the, the amount of work that was involved um, in worship to God and, and uh, what it took to, to break camp and to set camp up again. You can read through these chapters and you'll see several things that were made uh, that, that Moses gave, excuse me, God gave Moses instructions for making. There's the Ark of the Covenant that we described. There's a table for bread, a golden lampstand, the tabernacle that we described. That was basically poles and, and, and fabric for the tent. Uh, a bronze altar where they were to, um, to uh, slay the animals and, and uh, prepare them for uh, worship or sacrifice. Uh, oil for the lamp. There was priest's garments. There was an altar of incense that they were used uh, um, in, in their worship. A bronze basin and anointing oil and incense that was part of, of their worship. So all of these things are detailed and described um, in the chapters that, that we read uh, from chapter um, 25 through 30. Again, I'm not going to read all of those details. Let me get to this part. What are we to learn from this? What are we to learn from these detailed instructions that God gave? Um, these instructions, the specifics here are not for us today. In other words, God didn't ask us to set our church up like this. He didn't ask us to put these types of, of furniture and, and this type of, of things in our uh, building today. So, in fact, we don't even sacrifice to animals and, and do that today. So he's not asked us uh, to worship in this way. But what are we to learn? Three things I want to highlight. First of all, God desires to be with his people. You can see that from the tabernacle, there's a place set up that they could worship God. There was a place associated with the very presence of God. That God would come and commune with his people. This shouldn't be anything new from very, all the way from Genesis. We see that. In fact, I want to turn to Genesis chapter 3. You know the story of Adam and Eve and, and how God has set them up in the Garden of Eden. But there, there's a small verse there that gives us a glimpse 
of the desire that God has for fellowship with his people. And this is, this is after Eve had eaten of the fruit and given it to her husband, and, and, and he ate as well, and then they hid themselves from God. Why would they hide themselves from God? It tells us in Genesis chapter 3, verse 8, it says, They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? You see, God had a regular habit of meeting with Adam and Eve. And that habit wasn't broken until Adam and Eve sinned and hid from God. God desires to be with his people, the ones that he created. What separates us from being with God is our sin. Just like Adam and Eve, some people don't want to go to church because they have sinned. Brother, I see your hand. We'll ask you to talk with someone else while we're preaching here. They don't want to be with God because their sin has separated them from God. They no longer feel comfortable being with God. God hasn't changed. Their sin has separated them from God. And that, that's the picture of us as, as individuals because when, when, when we sin and now we have a sin nature that's been passed on to us from Adam and from Eve, that separates us from a holy God. It says in the cool of the day, God will walk in the garden and he looked for Adam and Eve. Now he knew where they were. But it shows us the habit of a God who loves his creation and looks to commune with them. And so in Israel, God was setting up a place where they could have their sins atoned for and have fellowship and communion with God. Does that speak to us today? God hasn't changed. He still wants to commute, commune with his people today. He wants you to be a part of that. He wants you to open your heart and your life to him and connect with him and let him connect with you. In Matthew chapter 1, verse 23, it talks about Jesus before he was born. This is what was said of him. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son. They shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. So in the person of Jesus, God the Father shows his, his desire to come and be with his people. And not just to be with his people, but God shows through the Lord Jesus Christ that he's going to become one of his people. What an amazing, loving, gracious God we have that wants to come down and has come down from earth to be with us. And in fact, in the person of Jesus, to be one of us. He volunteered to do that. God wants to be with his people. The second thing I think we can emphasize here is God determines appropriate worship. It's God who determines appropriate worship. He's given specific instructions to Moses to pass down to his people. This is how you worship me. 
Now, as I mentioned, those specifics do not apply to us today. In, in those specifics, we have been asked to build those implements and to have those things in, in our church today. But they show the specific instruction that God has given for worship. He has given us specific instruction for worship. We can't just worship. Some people use the phrase, I remember when I was a boy, they used to say, come to God in your own way. I knew what that meant. What it meant then is just, you know, you ain't got to prepare nothing. You don't have to do anything, and God doesn't require much of you. Just come. But that's not true. God is very specific and what he requires, and we need to pay attention to what he says and worship this way. What has God said? Let's look at it. In John chapter 4, verse 23 and 24, if I can have you turn there with me. John 4, 23 says, but the hour is coming and is now here. Notice that it's here right now. Jesus said he's talking to the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman, and they're having a discussion about proper worship. And Jesus says to her, the hour is coming and is now here where the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is seeking people to worship him, but he specified how that worship ought to be done. Worship him, it says, in spirit and in truth. What does that mean? What does that mean? It has a sense, it says God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Not just in a formality or in a ceremony, but with your heart, the way that God has directed. With your heart, the way that God has directed. Well, how has God directed. Some people think it's just good to be spiritual in whatever way you think that is. But God has directed what he intends for us to do as we come and approach him. And I'll tell you something. It's impossible to come and approach God without the person of Jesus Christ representing you in your place as your representative. You see, when you can read through here. One of the things that was required before you can come and worship God was that you had a, a legitimate or adequate or appropriate blood sacrifice. Oh, you know what I'm talking about. Let's turn to Genesis chapter 3 and take a look at this. So we established this way back in the beginning from Genesis. We see what God has required. How does he call us to worship him in spirit and in truth. In Genesis, I'm sorry, let's turn to chapter 4. Genesis chapter 4. You know the story of Cain and Abel. So let's just review it very quickly. In Genesis 4, It says in verse 2 that again she bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep and Cain a worker of the ground. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. 
And Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. Let me just pause right there. God had communicated in some way a sense, and I'll share you, I think, how he communicated that in just a moment. He had communicated truth down to Cain and Abel. I know that because I know God is a good God. And I know that because he specified one offering as acceptable and the other as not acceptable. So he must have made clear what that is. And we'll look back in a minute and see how he made that clear and whether they understood why or not, they understood that God had a requirement. Cain did not meet that requirement. His offering did not meet it. Abel's offering met that requirement. God utterly rejected Cain's offering. It was not like, oh, okay, man, well, maybe you just made a little mistake. Uh, go back and try it again. No, he utterly rejected Cain's offering, and he fully accepted Abel's offering. Was God playing favoritism? Was God being mean? God is a just God. Just means he wouldn't make a requirement if he hadn't made it clear that that was his requirement. There's something special about Abel's offering that's not special, about Cain's offering. And I think we get a glimpse of that in the chapter before. So turn with me to Genesis chapter 3. Back to Adam and Eve. The point we're making here is that God determines, God determines appropriate worship. And I want to go further and say all of this worship points to the Lord Jesus Christ. You say, well, how can you have Christ in the Old Testament? Well, he's very clearly there. John 1 tells us, in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. He already existed before Adam and Eve because he's eternal, because he is God. It says here in Genesis 3 that after Adam and Eve sinned, verse 7, then the eyes of both were open, and they knew they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. For sin, they were perfect and content as they were. After sin, they were guilty, felt guilty about their nakedness, and they wanted to do something about it themselves. Sin kind of exposed their wrong, their action. They weren't wrong before that. But it says to remedy, they bought or they made for themselves clothing out of fig leaves. 
Then in chapter 20, excuse me, in the same chapter, verse 21, it makes a simple statement, verse 21, the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments. God makes garments. In other words, the fig leaves aren't sufficient. God makes them other garments. But what were these garments like? Garments of skins and clothed them. Garments of skins and clothed them. Well, where did this skin come from? It's an animal skin, and so an animal was required to give up his skin. And you and I know you don't give up your skin <laughs> very easily. An animal had to be sacrificed in order to supply the need to cover for sin for Adam and Eve. God is setting the example, the precedent that, look, in order to deal with this sin, I had to slay an animal to give you proper covering. This is echoed again in chapter 4 with Cain and Abel because Cain gave of the best of his fruit. Abel gave the best of his flock. A life was required as an offering and sacrifice. This is pointing to the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the one and only, we call it propitiation, acceptable sacrifice or payment for our sin. A blood offering is required. Now we can ask all we want, why does God require such an offering? I will say to exalt himself because he was going to pay that himself. It's like God is saying, hey, what's the cost of this? It's really high. Nobody else can pay it but me. And I willingly pay it. Jesus steps out of heaven and says, I'll pay it. I'll give my life. When Jesus came into his ministry, it's, 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 it's uh, John the Baptist who says, there goes the Lamb of God that does what? Take away the sin of the world. Here's what God intended to remedy man's sin. This lamb is Jesus, who's the payment, the true payment for sin. So, in other words, get back to our point. To worship him in spirit and truth is to worship him thinking and pointing and recognizing the Lord Jesus. Don't be like Cain. Worship him any way you think you should. And God ought to accept it. God said, no, I'm not accepting that. Don't be like Adam and Eve trying to cover up their own selves so that they can be acceptable before God. God says, I don't accept that. Take those clothes off, put these on. Those clothes point to the Lord Jesus Christ. Back in Exodus, everything that God is having them to do for worship in some way is pointing then to the proper means for worship, which is only through Jesus Christ. You know, you and I have no right to come into the presence of God or to offer anything to him apart and outside. Thank you, Lord. The Lord Jesus Christ makes, it, uh, makes God available to us. In other words, he takes the anger of God away. You know, when the whole crowd saw Moses go up into the mountain, they say, Moses, you go on, man, because uh, we don't want to get anywhere close to that. God, God is fierce. In, fa in fact, it says when Moses got in the mountain, it gave us the view from the crowd's viewpoint. And said so what they saw was a fierce fire on a the mountain. They was wondering, 
is Moses going to survive that? How, how does he come out of that? You see, it's, it's, it's awesome to come into the presence of God and apart from God equipping us, which he does through his son, Jesus, we don't even want to come into his presence. We don't desire. It's too scary for us. God has taken the fear away from that in the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus became a human being like me and you so that we could look at God and not be scared. So we could see him, see him in his grace and his love and get it and understand it and not run away in fear. God has made an awesome provision, just like he does with the sacrifice in the tabernacle, so that God, so that he can be approached. He's made that provision for us to be able to approach God, the Father, the Creator, the awesome judge of all mankind. You and I can literally stand before God. Not because we are righteous in ourselves, but because the blood of his son pays for our sin. And God looks at us as acceptable in his sight because he sees Jesus. He sees the blood offering that's been paid on our behalf. It is foolish for you or I to attempt to come before God apart or outside of Jesus. That's why Jesus is so important. That's why we talk of him all the time. The whole Old Testament points to him. He's the key. He's the one that allows us to have relationship with God. So what do we do? We're about to have communion today. We worship what God has done in his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. We do that in spirit and in truth, though. We don't just do it as a ceremony. We actually have given our lives back to Christ because we belong to him. You notice something that, that's interesting? When, Jesus, when God starts giving the Ten Commandments, he reminds them of who he is. He says, I'm the Lord that brought you out of Egypt. In other words, because I'm your deliverer, I have a right to give you instruction to have requirements from you. Because I'm your creator, I have the authority to call you into right relationship with me and to determine the, the terms of that calling. In other words, God is saying, look, you can come in relationship with me only through the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me read just one more scripture before we prepare ourselves for communion. And that's in Psalm 2. Psalm 2. Worship God in spirit and in truth. What does Psalm 2 offer for us? It starts off with, why do the nations rage and the people plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves, rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointing. Skip down to verse 10. It says, now, therefore, O kings, be wise. Be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the sun. You know what that means. It means the way you're going to serve the Lord, the way you're going to bow down to God and show respect to him is to accept his son. To acknowledge his son. To bow down in allegiance to his 
son. God says, I'm not accepting anybody apart from that. But he also said, here's the grace. I'm accepting everybody who does that. I will reject no one who comes through my son to, to give him honor, allegiance, and to, 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 to give you a faith in what he has done for your salvation. So in communion, that's what we're doing. We're saying, Father, we recognize your son. I'm going to ask our leadership team if they will come forward as we prepare our communion. Father, we recognize your son. And we bow down to him, knowing that he is the one and only way for us to have relationship with you. And we will love you and obey you with the rest of our lives. That's what we say. That's what we do. God has called us to worship him then in spirit and in truth. Father, we thank you for this opportunity to hear your word, to see how your word, even that Old Testament rules and instructions, point to the kind of God you are. You're the God who wants to commune and fellowship with your people, and you've made the way, the means for them to do that through your son, the Lord Jesus Christ. He's pictured in all the offerings. He's pictured in every piece of furniture that's there. Your holy requirement that man can't keep that you've done through the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, we pray that you prepare us now that we would give ourselves to obey you in all that you call us to do. You call us to be a part of a church. You call us to believe in Christ and to connect ourselves with your people. You called us to walk in obedience to you. You called us to profess our faith, to be baptized, and to come together to proclaim your truth. We thank you for those who are doing that. We welcome, as you welcome them, to be a part of communion. We warn those who haven't done that, aren't willing to do that, to not take communion, not add more judgment to themselves. We pray for and caution believers to get right with you, to turn away from sin, and to serve you with their whole hearts. This we pray in Jesus' name, amen. We prepare ourselves for communion now. We're going to offer prayer as we prepare ourselves and prepare our hearts. And as I mentioned, 